Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, today the Holy Spirit has led us to our final implication of the gospel from 2 Corinthians. I'm going to try to cover four chapters today, y'all. This is going to be fun. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. There's a lot of good stuff in these four chapters. I cannot cover it all. all, Y'all, we'd be here till 8 o'clock tonight if I tried. I can't cover it all. So please go home and read this stuff. There's so much good stuff, so many things that we miss if you're just relying on me to give you this. So please go home and read it and see for yourself what God really says. But we're going to be covering chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. And really, they all come together in a really nice theme. And that theme on this Pentecost Sunday is gospel power. The power of the gospel, the power of God. Now, come on, somebody. This is what we all want, right? When we come to a Pentecostal church, doggone it, give me the power. I want the power, right? Give me that power. That's what we all want. But we've got to dive into this implication of the gospel on that power because it is so important that we get that right. The power of God must be rooted in the gospel. Because if it is not, it can be manipulated so easily. Power outside of the gospel becomes a very nasty thing. And unfortunately, some of us have experienced that. Some of us have experienced that inside the church, right? That power becomes nasty. There's this old old British historian, Lord Acton. He said, I'm summarizing here, this isn't the exact quote, but it's something like this. He said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it is so true. When we seek power for power's sake, when we yield power for power's sake, without applying the implications of the gospel, it's a very dangerous thing. So let's make sure we get this right. Because, Christian, you need the power of God. Is anybody going to say amen to that? (laughs) We need the power of God. The power of God has got to be a necessity to us like breathing. That's how desperately we need God's power at work in our lives. We need to walk in it daily, every moment of every day. We need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we've got to do it right. We can't twist it. So, let's do it right. Here's here's, uh, the three points today. For gospel power, we need to look at the anchor inside of us. We need to look at the anchor outside of us. And then we need to look at the true test of this gospel power. Now, before we jump in, I want to give you just a quick layout of what's going on in these four chapters so you can kind of see how this theme ties everything together. Paul starts this section in chapter 10 by reminding the church in Corinth that we don't do things, that Christ followers do not do things man's way. We don't fight by the flesh. We don't war in the flesh. We fight God's way. We fight in the Spirit. And if we do that, we've got an untapped power that is capable of tremendous things, of taking down any stronghold that exists in this world. But we've got to do it God's way. See, some people in the Corinthian church had taken some shots at Paul, apparently, between 1 and 2 Corinthians. They said, hey, guys, this Paul character, he, he sounds real good when he writes these letters. You know, he's real convicting, he's real powerful, he's real strong. But then he shows up in person, and he's, he's not much. 
doesn't look like much. He's not scary. He's kind of a pushover. He's weak. He's soft. That's what the Corinthian church is saying about Paul. So what's Paul do? He does what any of us would do, right? He boasts. But what does Paul boast in? And this is super interesting. And if you read it, if you don't understand what's going on, it comes across as kind of weird. Because Paul doesn't go where the world goes. Paul doesn't war according to the flesh. He goes where the Spirit leads. And the Spirit leads Paul to boast in his suffering. Can you imagine that? Somebody's taking shots at, at somebody on you know, Fox News or whatever, whatever news outlet you watch. Somebody's taking shots at the other person. The other person says, hold on a second. I've suffered a lot and starts boasting in his suffering. Look at all this stuff I'm suffering. Paul goes into boasting about his weakness. <laughs> That'd be an even bigger shock, right? Let me tell you just exactly why I'm not qualified to be talking about any of this stuff. That's what Paul does. He lays all of this stuff out. He says, look, guys, I used to be the Jew of all Jews. I went through the classes. I did all the stuff. And then Jesus showed up and showed me it's all worthless. Then Jesus showed up and he showed me how weak I really am. And you know what? I'm stepping into that weakness. And I'm just going to show everybody that God is strong. Paul boasts not in his own strengths, but in the strengths of others, in the spiritual fruit of others. He tears himself down so that he can build others up. He says, I don't need to defend myself. My God does that for me. So I'm going to show you how good my God really is. I'm going to show you how weak I am, how strong I thought I was, but how strong Jesus Christ made me in my weakness. And in all of these things that Paul talks about, we see these three points so beautifully. So let's start. First, the anchor in us. We've got to be a little careful here, all right? Because the ultimate anchor, and we're going to talk about this, but the ultimate anchor we drop isn't inside of us. We know that, right? If you anchor in yourself, if you anchor in your self-worth, that's a bad anchor. And, and here's our problem, guys. There's a lot of thought out there in modern psychology and all this stuff on how to fix our problems as a society. And there's a lot of psychology that will say, we just need to build up your self-esteem. We just need you to believe in yourself more. And that's going to fix all our problems. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't say that. Because that is anchoring in yourself. You're anchoring to your own self-esteem and yourself. Anybody who's tried it, you know this. It's shaky, right? So now we're not talking about dropping that ultimate anchor. But what we are talking about is what do we need to cultivate within ourselves so that God's power can anchor in us? What do we need to do to prepare ourselves to receive this power, right? What does the gospel say? You know, you conjure up these ideas of like the brave knights. You must pass these three noble challenges to prove yourselves worthy, right? That's how most fairy tales go. But that's not what the gospel says, is it? That's not what the gospel says. It doesn't say, go seek more power. Go prove your bravery. Go show your loyalty. Go do these things. That's not what it says. That's not the gospel. Paul tells us this. Jana read it to us. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. i got to put a quick asterisk here. Notice that it says all of those things, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, for Christ's sake. 
Guys, there's a lot of Christians who are yelling persecution, who are on their knees crying. Jesus said the world would hate us, and so forget about it, and they're just jerks. Well, Jesus said the world's going to hate us. What's the point in being nice, right? You guys know those Christians. It's not anybody here. I mean, nobody here would do something silly like that. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' words in that instance are talking about suffering for his sake. Not suffering for your political views, not suffering for how you raise your children, not suffering for some other stance that you take, suffering for his sake. And for the love of goodness, it is not an excuse to be a jerk. (laughs) Jesus didn't say that to put a bullet in your gun of, hey, I can be a jerk to whoever I want. Right? We are still expected to walk in love and kindness to those around us. But it's our character that causes others to hate us. When we walk in the Holy Spirit, our character, the fact that we don't participate in certain things, our holiness, that's going to insult people. You don't even have to open your mouths. If you're really living the Christ life, if you're really following as a disciple of Jesus, you won't even have to open your mouth to get people to hate you. But let's not twist that to be something it's not. It's got to be for Christ's sake, not suffering for whatever, you know, little pet peeve you have. Sorry, that was free. This passage, though, we love to debate it, don't we? How many times have you heard people argue about what the thorn in Paul's flesh was? Right? Oh, what what was that thorn? Because as long as we're focused on the little minute details, we don't have to pay attention to what God's actually saying in the passage. And what does he say? My grace is sufficient, for power is perfected in weakness. I'm going to ask a pretty strong question. Why is the American church so weak today? Because we keep trying to perfect God's power in our strengths. But guys, that's not the formula, is it? You're reading this, right? That's not what God says. God doesn't say, go to more leadership training. God doesn't say, take your strength finders test and figure out what your strengths are and then operate in those strengths and let other people fill in your weaknesses. That's not what God says. Can I ask you a question? Do you want perfect power? Do you? The answer should be yes. That's not a trick question. I'm sorry. I know I've pulled a lot of punches, but that's not a trick question. Then you've got to become weak. What is this anchor in us? It's weakness. But the reason we struggle with that is because that's not the way the world does it, is it? The world says the exact opposite. Run from your weaknesses, and don't you dare let anybody know you have them. Cover them up. Hide them. Do whatever you can, but don't show anybody you're weak. But this is what Paul warns us in the very beginning. Chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. Again, sidebar. Christian, you are ready to punish all disobedience when when your obedience is complete. Remember when Jesus, that parable that so many people love, Jesus draws that line in the sand. There's, they've got that woman who's been caught in adultery. And what's he tell the people? They're ready to stone this woman who is caught in adultery. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
you are ready to punish all disobedience when you have completed your obedience. And not until then. Anybody bold enough to say, I've completed my obedience. Right? Let's let the Holy Spirit do his job. And let's stay in our lane and do our job. Right? See, there's a lot of talk about this exact topic, but we don't know it. See, God is so powerful. The power of God is so great. He can win wars before they even become wars. Did you catch that in this? God can win a battle before it even becomes a battle. Where does God win the war? Right up here in the mind. When we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. See, everybody's talking about gun reform right now, right? With all these awful shootings going on. And you've got one side that thinks the only option to save anybody is to take all the guns away. And you've got another side that says the only option to save everybody is to give everybody more guns. And there is absolutely zero middle ground left. We do the same thing with abortion, though. You got one side that says we got to make them all illegal. You got to get rid of them. You've got the other side that says, it's my choice, I should be allowed to do whatever I want with my stuff, and you can't tell me what to do. But what if I told you, I can stop them both right now? Would you believe me? I can't, but Jesus did, and will, through the Holy Spirit in me, because, guys, the war that's being fought here isn't a physical war. It's so much deeper than that. And if we will just become weak, we can win this thought war. We can stop the shootings before they happen because we can win the thought war. Because God can win the thought war, right? Because God can convince a woman, to keep that life inside of her because it is precious, because it is his, because it has worth and value no matter how far along in that pregnancy she is. But the war isn't to be fought legally. See, the problem is the church has engaged in this fleshly war. And look at the results. Guys, headline after headline after headline we don't want your thoughts and prayers anymore. We want change. Because we're fighting the wrong battle. We're fighting fleshly. And we need to fight God's way. See, the problem, the biggest problem that we have here is that we must become weak. And we don't like that. That is the anchor that we have to have. The gospel moves in weakness. And if that's the power that we're to find, we have to move in weakness too. This is probably the, the best gospel chapter in the New Testament. But Romans 5, Paul says this in Romans 5, 6 to 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Scott, two, number one, the best gospel verse in the Bible. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us best gospel verse. Somebody wants the gospel in one verse, boom, that is it. Such a good verse, but it's more than that. Look at that very first verse. While we were still helpless, while we were weak, Christ died to make us strong. Not so that we can move in our strength, not so that we can be mighty, so that we can be big and bad and look at us, 
but so that we can move in his strength, in his power, because his power is perfected in weakness. See, when we move in our strength, when we only move in our strength, that is a breeding ground for pride. It breeds pride because I'm operating in my strength, in the stuff I'm good at. But when we move in weakness, that is a breeding ground for humility. God doesn't typically do formulas, but you know one formula he does do? He humbles the proud, and he lifts up the humble. God always moves through those who walk humbly with him. God always moves through those who walk humbly with him. He always moves through those who are meek. But that's not the world's way. And if our anchor is in the world, we will continue to try to do it the world's way. So we have to find an anchor outside of ourselves. Talked about this a lot lately. We have thoroughly covered this in a bunch of sermons, in a bunch of different sermon series, because it keeps coming up. But something I have learned personally is if the Holy Spirit keeps speaking something to me, it means that my head is too thick and I need to get it right because I haven't gotten it yet, right? Is God your anchor? There's a lot of Christians that say he is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, God's my anchor. But then the second a minor inconvenience comes along, the second somebody starts to shake that tree a little bit, all the fruit falls off, and you're left holding nothing. What the heck? Right? So many Christians say that they're anchored in God. But when the storms of life come, you very quickly find out where your anchor really is. When those thorns in the flesh that Paul talks about, right? Guys, you've got to be careful. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but there are churches that teach that if you pray for something and it doesn't go away, that's on you. It's your fault. You don't have enough faith. You're not pleading the blood enough. You don't believe. You don't believe that Jesus is actually going to do that. There's, there's hidden sin in your life somewhere. Now look, are those issues with prayer? Yeah. Are those the only issues with prayer? No. To simplify it down to something that basic is wrong. And people have walked away from the faith because of it. We've got to be so careful. Because Paul tells us here, I had, not, not even, I have a thorn in the flesh. I've prayed three times for this thing to go away, y'all, and it's still here. And God actually told me, stop praying. Stop. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. I want that thorn there, Paul, because it keeps you humble. God didn't tell him, well, Paul, you just don't have enough faith. You need to faith it till you make it. He didn't say that, right? He said, Paul, I want to know where your anchor is. And this thorn right now is keeping you humble, and it is reminding you daily where that anchor is. Because it's not in the things of this world. Uh, we're actually, right now in our Bible in a year plan that we're doing as a church, we're in the book of Job. Real page turner. It's, I'll be honest, the book of Job is my favorite book of the Bible. I know it's kind of a dark book to have as your favorite. Maybe I'm just a dark and brooding person. But my life verse has been, I mean, for as long as I can remember, Job 13, 15. is actually in our reading yesterday. I posted on social media, so some of you know this already. But my life verse, Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. It was pretty funny because in my ordination service, in, they give you a little pamphlet, and it's got everybody's life verse in, in the pamphlet. And it was always entertaining to me because everybody's, you know, got Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and Jeremiah 29, 11, and all these, like, encouraging and uplifting. Jeremy Metzger, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. But ladies and gentlemen, 
I love being encouraged by God's word. But there is no greater faith in the Bible than that sentence. No greater faith in the Bible. Because what Job is saying is, listen, he's talking to his friends and he's saying, listen guys, if God marches down here and stands before me face to face and without any reason says, you're done, Job, and crushes me and destroys me and tears me limb from limb, I'm not going to put my hope in anything else. My hope is still in him. That's faith. That's trust. That's an anchor. Right? And the most incredible thing in the book of Job is that Job drops this anchor. Even if he slays me, even if all of this, all of these boils, my kids dying, all of my property being destroyed, even all of this is from the hand of God himself. If God took it all and there is nothing after this, I still trust him. I still hope in him. That is Job's anchor. And after he drops that anchor, at the end of the story of Job, do you know what we see? Job's anchor holds. Not because of how tightly Job clings to that anchor, right? If there's anything that's a little uncomfortable about the book of Job, it's that Job keeps questioning God, right? We read that as good Christians, and we think, you can't question God. How dare you, Job? But he does, right? He says, God, why are you doing this to me? God, I don't understand. I don't like this. I haven't done anything wrong. Why are you doing this? But his anchor holds. Not because of how tightly Job holds the anchor, but how tightly God holds to him. God never lets Job go for a second. Not a second. Guys, that's the power when we drop our anchor into him. God will never let you go. He will never let you down. It may look like it. Things in this world will fall apart. But guys, there is a life on the other side of this world that far surpasses anything in this world. And when we get there, we will say like Job, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds, not because I held tightly to him, but because he held tightly to me. And he wouldn't let me move when these storms of life hit. Guys, that's the anchor we need. I'm, I'm getting off track here. <laughs> that's the anchor we need. We need to be clung, clinging, clung to that anchor. Uh, the very first chapter of Romans, Romans 1.16, I love this verse. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Guys, what is the power of God? It's the gospel, right? So if we want the power of God, what do we have to cling to? The gospel. That's got to be our anchor. Jesus Christ, Jesus' life, his death and resurrection, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to save me in spite of myself. That's the gospel. That's the anchor. So if we are going to go to war, not by the flesh, but by the power of God, that power has to be anchored to the gospel. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, or 3 through 4, since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live in him because of the power of God directed toward you. Look at this promise. Don't miss this promise. Christians, we, we cling to bad promises. <laughs> I don't mean that all of God's promises are good, so I don't mean that. But we cling to all of these like surfacey promises of like, well, God's going to bless you in this earth, and he's going to give you everything you've ever wanted, and all your hopes and dreams will come true. And we cling to these promises, but then we got promises like this that everybody just glazes right over. What is this promise? Christ isn't weak toward you. He's mighty in you. Christian, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Then Jesus Christ is mighty in you. 
He's not weak towards you. He's mighty in you. It's already done, right? We got to get pumped up about this. This is the power of God at work in us, and it's at work in us. We get all flustered because we feel like we've got to muster up this power of God. It's already mighty in you, right? That's what Paul's telling this church in Corinth. The power of God is mighty in you. Jesus Christ is mighty in you. See, when the world looks at the cross, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 1, when the world looks at the cross, when we war fleshly wars, we see the cross as weakness. We see the cross as foolishness. But God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. But we got to be weak. Jesus Christ himself embraced weakness. This is downright offensive to some when Christians say, that's my God hanging up on this cross. That's offensive to some religions to suggest that their God would come down to earth and be humiliated like that. Jesus Christ embraced weakness so that God could show off his strength through him. And is there any greater show of power than Jesus' resurrection from the dead? Is there any greater show of power, ladies and gentlemen, from your resurrection from the dead? It's coming, y'all. It is coming. We gotta live like it, though. We gotta live every day like we believe that's coming. Like we believe that we will be resurrected. But guys, if Jesus Christ embraced weakness so that God could be strong in him, why do we try to do it any other way? Why do I pick up my sword and say, God, I'm going to swing this sword as mighty as I can for you. Why? That's not what Jesus did. Jesus embraced weakness so that God could be strong in him. And church, if we will embrace weakness, God's going to show up. He's going to be strong in us. But we've got to cling to the gospel to do that. If your anchor is in this world, you will never embrace weakness. Because the world tells you to do it the opposite, right? The only way to embrace weakness is to truly believe and cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That our Lord and Savior, Jesus, became weak so that I might be strong. Then I can be weak for him so that he can be strong in me. That's the gospel. And, and, and look, look at what it says. He was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but what? Yet we will live with him because of the power of God. Who here wants to be alive? Come on. We just got done with all these sanctuary renovations. I've, I've been here for 80 plus hours a week trying that not really I don't think that's humanly possible but trying to get all this stuff done tearing up carpet guys I'm exhausted I'm beat you feel tired you feel worn down and every time it's like life just keeps kicking you when you're down there you feel like you need that God I just I need to live I feel like a dead man walking right now you need to come alive and God's promised you he can bring you back to life. He can give you life, not, not after life. He's going to do that too. But he will give you life abundant right now. That Christ life, that fire in your bones, like Jeremiah talks about. I got this fire pent up in my bones, and I can't stop until it comes out. Church, we need that. That's the power of God. We need that fire in our bones that is coming out whether you're ready for it or not. It's coming at you. Does anybody want that? Right? We want to move with that kind of power. We want God to move through us with that kind of power. But we got to be weak. 
You've got to be weak to do it. Let yourself be weak so that you can anchor to the gospel, so that God's power can move through you. If you're anchored in the world, I keep saying it, if you're anchored in the world, you're not going to get there. The world tells you to fight for yourself. That's not the gospel. The world tells you you're perfect just the way that you are. That's not the gospel. The world tells you to embrace your strengths and never show your weaknesses. That is not the gospel. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. But now they know. Let it go. Elsa at least got that part right. But guys, we have to let it go so that we can do it God's way. I wish that's what Elsa was talking about it when she sang that song. It would have made that movie a whole lot better. But God's power doesn't move in our strength. It moves in our weakness. It moves in our obedience to him. And that is the true test of power. This is what Paul says. This is how Paul ends his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself? That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. I'm going to pause right here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a lost art in the church today. I think this is one of the biggest reasons we have so much trouble getting back on the right track with God. Christians are awful today at testing themselves. We are awful today at examining ourselves. There's this really nasty current that I've noticed within Christian circles that we, we just try to encourage each other into the kingdom of God right? I'm just going to encourage you. That's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to speak encouragement. And the second you speak anything that's not encouragement, you, you confront somebody about a sin you see in their life, or you, you, know, you talk to somebody about something hard, or even you're struggling with something, and you tell them, man, man I need prayer. I, I'm struggling with this. I, I feel like my faith is, is wavering here. <sighs> what? Gasp. That's not right. But, but ladies and gentlemen, where is it getting us? Because I feel like we're encouraging the church closer to the gates of hell than we are to the kingdom of God. Guys, you've got to test yourselves. I, Jan and I, we tell our kids this every, every day because our kids don't like to hear correction, right? I'll yell at Elam and he starts moping like kids do. But the Holy Spirit corrects me almost daily. You know, I get to a point in my Bible reading, if, I, if I'm like two days in a row without correction from the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like, is, is everything okay, God? Because I usually don't get it right two days in a row. But we've got to examine ourselves. We've got to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and ask him to look inside and tell us what's wrong in there. God, find stuff and weed it out. Look, it hurts. It's not fun. You're crazy if you say, oh, I love being examined. Nobody likes being told they're wrong. But disciple, you will not grow if you just find encouragement from the Bible. You will find encouragement. You need encouragement. God's word promises to encourage. But you're not going to grow in Christ if all you do is look for encouragement. You've got to examine yourself. You've got to find correction. And a correlation to that is confession with another trusted brother or sister in Christ. Brother and brother, sister and sister, unless you're married. Always. But you've got to have those things because those are the things. Paul, Paul says it here. Test yourself to see if you're standing in the faith. We cannot miss this. We have to test ourselves. We have to examine ourselves. But if we do, what's the promise there? Jesus Christ is in you. This is the second time Paul's doubling down. Jesus Christ is in you. 
So many people get so worked up, especially when we talk about Pentecost Sunday and the gifts of the Spirit and all of that stuff, speaking in tongues, you know, all of those things. So many people get so worked up about that because you've been trying to speak in tongues for years, for decades, for whatever it is, and it just hasn't happened yet. And so you get worked up. God, what am I doing wrong? I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. Guys, can I give you some rest if that's you? And it does, it's not just speaking in tongues. It's, it's everything. You know, I, sometimes I get upset. Like, it seems like when I pray for healing for people, it's like God does the opposite. It's like, I, I don't know, I'm like, my healing button's broken. I just can't, like, I don't have success in that area. I could get mad about it, but guys, Jesus is in me. Jesus is in me. I've examined myself to see if I'm in the faith. I am. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. God moves in me. Jesus is in me. So guess what? If he wants to heal through me, he's going to heal through me. If he wants to speak in tongues through me, he's going to speak in tongues through me. But Jesus is giving you rest today. Jesus is in you. That's the only supernatural you need. He's going to determine what goes on from there. You know, there are so many people who put their, you know, feathers in their cap on, like, oh, I'm a prophet of all prophets. Just be Jesus's. Just be his. Jesus is in you. Guess what? He's going to do what he wants to do through you. Now, are there some people who have different leadings? Look, y'all, I'm a teacher, right? Does anybody want to tell me I'm not? That's a gift that God has given me, right? And God operates through that gift when I move in it. But I don't show up being like, I'm a teacher, I can only do teacher things. I'm not mowing the lawn out there, I'm not putting in new carpet, I teach and that's what I do. That's not what we do. Jesus is in me. I will do whatever he tells me to do. And guess what? He will give me the strength to do whatever he tells me to do. So if he tells me to go to downtown Bowling Green, I probably shouldn't say this because he's going to tell me to do it and then I'm going to have to do it. If I go to downtown Bowling Green and he tells me, Jeremy, I want you to go downtown and I, people passing by, I just want you to pray for their healing. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do it. And what's God going to do? I don't know. That's his responsibility. I'm just going to do what he told me to do. That's what we've got to do because Jesus Christ is in you as long as you pass the test. And what is the test? I'm so glad you asked. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity." in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Do no wrong. Do what is right. Do nothing against the truth, but only the truth. Be complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. One word sums all of that up. Obedience. Guys, what's God's test? Obedience. Right? Do what he says. I know that this is a really bold concept, but what if disciples of Jesus Christ just did what Jesus says to do? What if disciples of the Holy Spirit just did what the Holy Spirit says to do? I'm not going to get that book published, am I? Right? You've got these big discipleship manuals on everything. What if our discipleship book said, listen to the Spirit? do what he says. What? <laughs> Jesus. That's not going to hit the New York Times bestseller list. Do what Jesus said. Do what the Father 
lays out in his perfect and holy word. Do what the Holy Spirit is currently speaking to you and leading you in by his power. And when we do, the God of love and peace will be with you. That's his promise, not mine. So, can I ask you something? What are you boasting in? Examine yourself. Look at your life, and you may not even be boasting with it in words, but what are the things that you're most proud of? Are they your strengths? How many followers you have on social media? How many likes you get on a post? Your influence, your power, what you're good at, your trophies? If you answered yes to those things, if you measure any of your self-value by any of those things, can I beg you with a godly jealousy to move your anchor? Because if your anchor is in one of those things, it will fail you. If your anchor is in your family, how you're doing as a mother, as a father, how you're doing as a parent, if that is your anchor, it will fail you. I beg you, move it. In this section, Paul says in chapter 11, says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that Christ, to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You have been betrothed to Jesus. He is your true husband. He's your perfect father who will never fail you, no matter what your earthly father has done, is doing, how. Your heavenly father will never fail you. Jesus is your perfect husband. If you are married, no matter what your husband is currently, whether he's an A plus or an F minus, Jesus is your perfect husband. Husbands, can I encourage you? Point your wife to her perfect husband, not to you. Parents, can I encourage you? Point your children to their perfect father, not to you. Don't let them put their anchor in you. That's what being a disciple of Christ is all about. That's what discipling is all about. Cling to your heavenly Father. Cling to your perfect husband. Boast in your weakness. Boast in your suffering. Boast in others' strengths. Boast in God's power. Not your own. This is the craziest thing. Jesus Christ, your perfect husband, wants to be joined with you perfectly. That's his desire. So if you're sitting there thinking, God, I, I want you so bad, but every time I come to this altar, you just won't show up. God, I want you so bad, but I feel like you are so distant from me. If that's how you feel now or ever, remember, your perfect husband, Jesus, wants to be with you more than you want to be with him. And he is drawing close to you, whether you feel it or not. But here's the craziest thing. This perfect husband, this perfect king of glory, more valuable, more precious of worth, more than we can even comprehend. That's how great our God is. He wants your weakness. Can you wrap your mind around that? This perfect father wants you in your weakness. He wants you vulnerable and dependent upon him so that he can lift you up and make you strong. Are you broken? Good. Good. Because he can put you back together. 
Do you feel weak, like you've got nothing left to give, like you've got nothing to offer? Good, good. Because look at the people Jesus moved through. Look at the people the Holy Spirit empowered on the day of Pentecost, the disciples. When the people heard Peter preaching these sermons that he got up there, they said, who is this unlearned man? Who is this guy? He doesn't have any leadership training. He hasn't taken any John Maxwell courses. Who's he to talk to us? That's who God chooses every single time. Every time. Guys, I want the Gospel House to be a church body that is so full of the Holy Spirit's power that every day we meet, every day, whether we're meeting together or whether we're apart, we see miraculous things happen. We see the power of God move and him do things that we could never do on our own. But it's going to require that we become weak. We have to stop seeking the world's way of doing things. We have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. It's not just do, right? It's think. Jesus ups that ante. I want you to think my will. Think his will. So today, let's seek a move of the Spirit. Jesus is in you. If you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, today is a great day for salvation. All you have to do is pour out your heart to him and tell him, I am done trying to do this my way, and I am ready to do it yours, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. So let's stop acting like there's all these things that we need to do to twist God's arm to move in us. And let's expect God to be with us like he promised and to move. Jesus is in you. You don't have to look far to find him. And when Jesus moves, when the Holy Spirit moves, we move. When the Holy Spirit speaks, we speak. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.